HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman. Rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, jumping in to tell you about this week's episode of Meat and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food roundup. This week, we're introducing you to some amazing women taking a stand. So often, being sexually harassed feels like a loss of control, and so I wanted to have these very tangible guides to say, here's what you can do. Others are pushing for more diversity at major food industry events. I still feel really determined to do you know, whatever I can to help shift that, and in a direction that's not just more diverse, but more equitable. We also have a report on that summer business staple, the lemonade stand. The lemonade stand might be the purest form of starting a business. Low overhead, easy to get into, and requires little experience or special equipment. Don't miss Meat and Three, your weekly 15-minute food news roundup from HRN. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Search M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. And thanks, as always, for listening. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. My name is Southern Teague, and my partner Damon Bolte's out of town. Uh, but on the plus side, he's at Camp Runamook, so he's uh, down in Kentucky oh. hanging out with all the squirrels. We're never going to see him again. I mean, yeah, that's a, poss- <laughs> that's a distinct possibility. All, all the other squirrels. Yeah. Well, the squirrels, that's what they call the campers, the squirrels, right? So he's down there with a whole bunch of bartenders from all over the world, 160 of them at a time. They do, they do a couple of weeks each year at, a, at an actual summer camp for kids. They take it over, which I, I've never really thought about that part of it. Like, where are the kids at right now? <laughs> It's, <laughs> they not, get t- it's not the first, It's not the school year right they, they get the first bit of their summer taken away by a it's bunch really of bartenders. Yeah. But I'm sure we, it smells really good there. But get you used to up. disappointment, kids. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you go down, and it's called Camp Crescendo, and you go down there, and you do the, the week-long of camp, and uh, you, you do a ton of distillery tours and drink a lot of whiskey, and there's sponsored parties, and Damon's down there with Brooklyn Gin sponsoring a party. And, um, and then the last day of camp is always called Volunteer Day. And on Volunteer Day, the whole camp gets together and fixes the camp up so it's nicer for the kids. Oh, there you go. So that's, that's the ding-ding. Yeah. Um, but so here we are on a beautiful summer, sunny afternoon in Brooklyn, New York, hanging out uh, with my good friend Will Elliott from Maison Premier, Sauvage, and the new Golden Hour. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, Southern. Hey, man. I'm happy to see you, as always. We get to see each other, like, what, every three months, four months? Maybe. I was going to say, is it, are we that frequent? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no, it's not even close. Um, so I want to obviously get around and talk to talk about your newest project, Golden Hour, here in the city. But let's back up and let everybody know who you are. You've been on the show before, so welcome back. Thank you. Um, but you were, you predated me um, as, a, as a host. Yeah, no, you were on with Damon. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I looked it, it up. was like right before the Beard Awards, I think. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couple oh, wow. That's, that's also amazing stuff. Um so you had a quick lunch here at Roberta's, and 
which is super awesome. That was amazing. I love Roberta's. <laughs> I never. I used to live around here, and I never get out here anymore. So where are you living these days? I live under the Williamsburg Bridge by like in by a the van water. down by the river. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I say it like that. It's a little better than it sounds. But now I live uh, in South Williamsburg, South Sixth Street. Oh, right on. Yeah. Um, so you've been working for the team you're with for how long now? Um, I was part of the opening team at Mason Premier, um, which is seven and a half. Holy crap. More years ago. Um, And we, it was quite, you know, the fortuitous team. It was like Chilean and uh, Natasha and Chilean Bose, Natasha David, Maxim Pazuniak, Maxwell uh, Britton, of course, was the bar manager at the time. Yeah. For quite a while. Um, that's yeah, that's a hell a of a roster. Team. That's a hell of a roster. I didn't realize yeah. that that, uh, that all those folks were there at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I think I knew I knew each of those folks had gone through those doors, but I didn't know that it was uh, that was the gang at once. Yeah, that was the opening gang, and I think that with the exception maybe of Max M. I mean, I know that myself, Jillian, and, and Natasha, we were. I mean, we were confident we could do it, but we were also, you know, at that age where it was still pretty. We were weren't sure of our place in. Uh, uh, you know, bartending professionally. Sure. Still you know? sort of finding yeah. your feet. Yeah, totally. Wondered if we could handle volume, you know. And look at you all now. <laughs> just a bunch of day drunks. Uh, um, yeah, totally. <laughs> just drinking rosé in the daytime. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. So, wow, that, I, didn't, I also didn't, I guess the math adds up. I just didn't think that Maison had been there for that long. Yeah, I mean, you, that, when did uh, Maury Margo open? A year later, March twenty first, two thousand eleven. So yeah. Oh wow! No, just the, uh, months like later. So close. Yeah. yeah. T- wow. Cool. What what month did you guys open? Um, January. January two thousand eleven. Late January. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So close. <laughs> I remember hearing about the about was, an, was... a bitters bar opening <laughs> and not having <laughs> a night off to go. For yeah. And everybody's like, months and months that's and months. never gonna work. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's gonna buy fried chicken from a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> That'll never work, Colonel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so at the same time, I was still running the show at Rye, which is just around the corner from Maison. I remember right. it, it opening. I remember, man, I just don't remember that that was the team. I guess at the same time, I was very busy doing Rye and, and more. Yeah. So maybe I wasn't. Well, and, you know, Jillian was brand new to town. She I just mean, got Natasha to town. was, I think, coming from Von Dog. Yep. Um, All right, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know that, yeah, I don't know that we were noteworthy. <laughs> At the moment, well, the place but. inspired interest from me for a number of reasons. Yeah. Uh, you know, I lived in New Orleans for three years, and Maison is very sort of patently driven after a New Orleans style mm-hmm. approach to the space itself, the things they serve, and how they serve them. Sure, right. So I was interested on the, that level. Plus, you know, Maison is uh, at that at that time. I only lived about six blocks away. Right, right. right. I lived over there for four years um, until I had to get closer to a more. That's when we used to see each other. Yeah, that's <laughs> when we used to bump into each other. Um, in in the nabe, yeah. Um, all right, so and Maison is a crushing success. You just whispered it uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, but you guys got a James Beard Award for best bar program in what year? Uh, 2016. 2016. So yeah. two years ago, huge accomplishment. Talk about that some. Yeah, I mean, the last time I was sitting right here was actually about three days before the awards in Chicago. Um, you know, we'd been nominated several years, uh, three years, I guess, and. The amazing thing about the James Beard Awards, I think specifically, is that um, it, you know if you're nominated, you really people always tell you like, oh, to not to be nominated is is as good as winning, and I, you know you never really understand it. Bunch of guys who never won. Yeah, exactly. Said a bunch <laughs> of you don't really understand it until um, sadly until you do win, where you really do realize that there is like this incredible honor just to. To find that, find yourself in that crowd, sure. in that class, um, you know, bar awards are one thing, and I, I think that what's so exceptional about the foundation is just you're sharing that room with a bunch of people who, with a lot of other talents than you have, and who've spent a lot more time doing it than you have potentially. You know, I think the lifespan of a kitchen person is typically a little bit longer maybe than pe- a lot of people in our industry at least for the you know in, how our, long in our side of the industry yeah yeah, yeah yeah and i think people tend to stay together longer as teams in kitchens i agree with that and as people a former... jump around a lot in the bar community so just the amount of investment and sort of longevity behind both the foundation uh and sort of our internal ethos at maison it was i mean a huge honor huge huge honor. How... very humbling 
talk to me uh, and the listener a little bit about how how does that even come about uh, to you, be nominated do, or do you, yeah how do you get pitched into the system in general not not even just to get nominated but right how do you so there how do they recognize you in the first place to even consider nominating you then much less winning sure you know as foundations are there's some amount of um, um, sort of closed procedures to how they to how they to the ins and outs of the process I guess sure but I know that there are two tiers of judges. There are people who have won in the past, which now is our, you know, one of our things that we do annually is is vote for. Uh, oh, so as a former winner, you get a right. little bit of say in who's coming up next. Uh-huh. Oh, that's excellent. But and you're all like Savage. All <laughs> 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 right, everybody no, vote for Savage. Yeah, I wish, I wish we could vote for ourselves. Yeah, that's yeah, not that's really it. how it. All right, all right. Um, ethics, ethics, everybody. Ethics, yeah. Stay cool. But. Uh, uh, there's also a press, I believe, like a press um, level of judge. I'm not really sure the details of it, but there are people who work for the foundation combined with uh, various other, you know, food and beverage influencers and, and uh, press professionals. All right. So. That's excellent. You know, uh, as a former chef, uh, I, I agree with what you said before about chef teams typically are a little bit more diehard. They stay together a little mm-hmm. bit longer. They really create a, uh, you know, an ethos and an atmosphere. The front of the house, we do tend to pop around a little more than I'm comfortable with, but, eh, you know, do what you got to do. It is what it is. Um, and then there are those who are like you and I who don't pop around. Like yeah. We stick. Uh, yeah, I mean, I knew I for some reason. But, I'm, but, I, but I was kind of going yeah. somewhere with that. I, I wonder, and maybe you can have an answer or not, but if more bar teams did stick together for longer, would they get more recognition, you know? <laughs> like, I feel like you're a moving target if you're literally moving all the time. Yeah. Well, I also, I, I totally agree. I also think that, you know, maybe this is a little bit far out, but I think that if you're a chef and you're in a restaurant, um, you cook a certain way for that restaurant, for right. the physical building and also for the clientele who happens to exist in the neighborhood, for the reputation that precedes the restaurant in that neighborhood. And so similarly, I think that bars and bartending, um, you know, you don't really hit your stride in how you approach what you do overnight or even within six months. And the things that you learned at the last bar doesn't necessarily transfer to the th- things at your new bar. So right. I totally agree with you. Um, I don't think you learn how to be a good bartender at your own bar for a lot longer than people would like to admit. And sometimes, sure. you know, you know, I think it's obviously it's a journey, as is everything. You know, yeah. if you think you've hit the top of the mountain, I, you know, uh, yeah, it's my, time to find a new mountain. I've heard all my life. My 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 dad said a lot of. You know, isms. Yeah. And one of, one, I just of, did. one of his was, uh, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. And I feel exactly. like a lot of bartenders get to that place faster than is true. Yes. They think, all right, I've learned everything I can learn from here. Time to move on. When oftentimes the thing that you're learning is 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 stability, is patience, is, yeah. you know what I mean? If you feel like you learned everything from that bar in one year, stay for a whole nother year. Yeah. See what nuances you learn, and a lot of people I think uh, um, are asking. You, you've got the mechanics and you've got all right. that, but like, do you have the the nuance of how to be be serviceable, hospitable in that yeah, space? Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, a lot of people. Just one more like ism for you. I love them. <laughs> Bring it on. I feel like a lot of people just ask what they're getting out of the bar rather than what they're bringing to it. Sure. You know, and I to me that's huge. What kind of attitudes and assets you bring to the to the bar i mean if you're friendly that's great you're friendly if you're really fast that's great that's you know but finding growth beyond that even is like yeah i mean that's next level that's that's uh lifer status you know it's when you start getting zen about it yeah so how long did you spend behind the u-shaped bar there at maison um i mean for the first several years i was closing maison for five nights a week yeah, and it was it was kind of an intense. I mean, it still is a little bit of an intense place for a number of reasons, but especially back then, you know, we were open till four a.m. period every night of the week. That changed not too long ago, though, right? It did, and you know, um, not that we're slower now than we were then, but I think we really wanted to imprint ourselves as being a constant. You know, we were open for every storm. Yep. We are open every holiday. I remember being there. I think Michael Walter was behind the bar on a Christmas Eve, and yeah. it was like a shit storm of snow. Yes, and we tromped in there and had drinks. Yeah, because I lived like I said, I lived like six blocks away. It's a huge part of the identity there, and we really, you know, we've always wanted to kind of maintain that thing of like 
we're an institution. Of course, we're open. We're open every day. We're here for the people, yeah. Yeah, and for the neighborhood. It's one of the rare times where it still feels really neighborhoody. Yeah, you know, I do the same thing at Amore. I only live uh, eight blocks from there, so if it's shit weather, I'll tell whoever's bartending not to come, and I'll I'll walk up there and open. Yeah, and then I also do stuff that I don't normally do. Right. I'll I'll go grab some beers from Mother Pearl next door, so I have beer for those people who want that. I'll. I'll grab some juice and shake a drink, which is uh, things we totally yeah, don't do. Yeah, of course. But on those nights when someone's tromped out into the snow and they've, the only bar they found that was open was mine, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be serviceable and hospitable. It's very cool. Yeah. It's, wow. It's fun. I'm going to have to go there next snowstorm. Yeah, we have fun. We really Never do. I've seen you shake a drink before. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Uh, okay, so you crushed out a lot of time. Uh, so how many years were you behind that bar? Um, I mean, you're still behind it, but like... Yeah, I, I mean, as of recently, I'm not really able to consistently be behind it. But oh, yeah, um, I get- try to add, you know, for a long time, I was on a nice little streak of uh, a couple of hours for brunch every weekend. I mean, I have been behind the bar there, with the exception of when Savage opened. Um, you know, then I tend to go and, and immerse myself in the in that project, right. as I am right now at the Golden Hour. Um yeah, I, I was there for four to five days a week for five years, yeah. for sure, easily. Right, so you... If not more. That, that is years. a picture of someone who's who's gotten everything they can get, uh, the mechanics of yeah. all that, and then to understand the, the nuance of service. Every time I would get bored or feel like it was over, um, you know, you just figure out ways to dig in. Yeah. Re- you know, set up your station differently. Uh, just like... Yeah, work left-handed. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's handicap a, yourself. <laughs> it's a U-shaped bar. You got to yeah. work both ways. Yeah. Um, and then along came Sauvage. And how old is Sauvage now? Um, Sauvage will be two in, wow, like maybe ne- next week, this week. Holy crap. Yeah. It's like snuck up on you. Yeah, totally. Two years old. Uh, and talk about Sauvage. What's the ethos over there? So, you know, at Maison, when we opened, we didn't have a kitchen, of course. We opened for just cocktails and oysters and raw bar, and which was fantastic. But we did realize that people were getting, uh, you know... Uh, a little loose? A little loose. <laughs> Is that what they say? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> uh, a little loose. And that, you know, in order to really give our guests the experience we wanted to give them, we needed to build out a kitchen eventually, which we did um, to good success at Maison. Uh, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's in, in, in the basement, and it's just a very, you know, it's not the ease. It's not a space that was meant to be a kitchen right? originally. It works brilliantly, and through the patience of our kitchen team, it works you know well and efficiently. But it's you know, as all things in New York, it's a little less than ideal. Well, like you just say, it's, it's handicapped. Yeah, you, it's you, handicapped. You, you built an entire totally. kitchen that's kind of handicapped. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah, even and if I they wanted remember, to have more chefs down there, they could. You I know, do you remember fit. those first days. I remember it was definitely oysters and raw bar. Yeah, and then I was like, wait, they have gumbo. Yeah. didn't even know they had a kitchen. Yeah. And that's kind of what it was. We, we don't really have a kitchen. We just wanted to add gumbo. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It was something we could accomplish right then, right there to kind right. of fill people's stomachs and make them stop eating oyster crackers <laughs> for sustenance. <laughs> um, so no, you're like, I got a seat. I'm not leaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Savage, you know, I think came out of a lot of the of the things that we didn't have, you know. Sure. Um, we... Increasingly, I think, apart from other a lot of other cocktail bars, we really cared about food. We realized that we wanted food to be a major part of our uh, concept and of our of our passion. Honestly, well, your, your ownership started with a restaurant, right? There's a yeah. restaurant prior to Maison. right. So um, yeah, Josh um, Josh Boise and Christoph Ziska, who are the owners at Maison Premier. Um, took over a, rest, a little bro- French brasserie in Grand Street called Le Baracou. I love that place. And, uh, and, yeah, and it continues to be a complete neighborhood staple, yep. busier than it's ever been. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I think we wanted to, you know, build and create a beautiful, beautiful restaurant that um, that we really could showcase food and, you know, drinking wine and being outdoors, you know, there's some really beautiful outdoor seating at Savage. Yeah, it's a gorgeous space. So, um, and that's all to, you know, Josh Boise's credit, um, as well as a you know a handful of craftspeople who helped him with the design. But the space is really meant to last, and it's 
I think it's one of the most beautiful restaurants in New York. It's two years old in a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I just think I'm it's a fun place to go and I'm drink. Guessing, I'm guessing by the, by the tone of surprise in your voice, there's no party planned. There is no party. <laughs> you know, I think everybody internally has learned that when we're opening something new, sadly, there is that, like, little, newest little board. Neglect, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Sauvage just became the middle child. Totally. I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Oh, yeah, no. no, Sauvage is also, like, a really cool place to drink and I I think we always try to make it echo um, sort of the fresh uh, fresh live feelings of what the kitchen was producing mm-hmm. really colorful um, and very producer driven um, there's just tons of sort of n- threads of narrative between what the kitchen does there what the, what the bottles are on the shelf even the names of the cocktails and the artwork on the wall so um, yeah, yeah I mean, a special when I, restaurant when I think of that place I think of uh it reminds me of, of my time in, in Europe, you know, like, yeah, very breezy, like I can catch a... Breezy's a good word for it, yeah. Yeah, catch it, you know, the windows are open, the, there's tables on the cafe outside, like, you can catch an Aperol spritz in the afternoon and a small snack and watch the people, you're right across from a park. It's, it's great it's, people it's, watching. Yeah, it's a really yeah. beautiful space. I mean, all of Williamsburg is great for people watching, but that, uh, that particular spot across from the park, and it's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. So let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk. So now we've, we've gotten you all the way. We've caught, caught up all the way with Will Elliott. Now we're going to move forward with Will Elliott. We'll talk about, what's, forward. talk about what's happening next at the Golden Hour. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Iris Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everyman. The whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in copper pot stills, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso sherry butts, allowing maximum impact from the wine while controlling the level of oak flavor before it becomes too overpowering. The result? An approachable Irish single malt perfectly balanced with a smooth finish that will leave you wanting more. I've got a bottle right here and I'm about to have a sip. Uh, I encourage you to do the same. Check out thesexton.com for more information. Till I die, I'll play that banjo. Anytime and any place I can. You'll know I'm dead when I stop playing. Welcome back. Oh, sorry, are we back? Welcome back. We back. All right, we back. Welcome back. I jumped up and grabbed myself a, a beer because it's a sunny day and I'm thirsty. Um, and Will's got a bottle of something here. What, uh, you just pulled out of your bag. What you got for us, <laughs> oh, Will? Oh, boy. We're back with Will Elliott. We're going to talk about the new project that you're doing called The Golden Hour. But first, we're going to crack open this bottle. What you got? This makes me so not cool. Uh, I'll warn you right now. Listen, but, man, that's um, not the about... only thing that makes you uncool. <laughs> It's about the only thing I can uh, drink at this hour. So uh, this is Chateau de Leberon, uh, Van Mut de Gascon. It is essentially like, if you're, you're familiar with Pinot de Chirant. Of course. It's very similar in style to Pinot de Chirant or Macfin de Jura. Um, really, really tasty, uh, 100% columbard, actually, mm-hmm. uh, wine added to Armagnac, or fortified with Armagnac, rather. Cha-ching. Brought in by my Ooh. dear friend, Nicholas Palazzi. Uh, of PM Spirits, and so yeah, you want to splash? I absolutely do. There's a, there's a couple of, sadly, there's shitty plastic cups, but I, I set you up one. Oh, you did. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, that looks gorgeous. Kind of cloudy. I think it's unfiltered. Yeah, looks unfiltered. So PM Spirits is carrying this. Yeah, they do this, and this this is 100% Columbard. They also have one with that's uh, 100% Merlot. Outstanding. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I'm very interested in this, and I'll be getting that, his information from you after the show because yeah. I'm opening a new bar next month. Congratulations. Called Windmill, which is uh, very French. Cool. Well, you know. Windmill. We're going to do, uh, well, do a lot of French stuff. It's going to be fun. 
I should interview you now, I feel like. Oh, okay. You want to switch <laughs> Tell chairs? Tell me about Windmill. You want to switch chairs? <laughs> oh, well, the funny part about Windmill is this, uh, my partner's name is Pierre Moulin, which means Peter Windmill in English. So we're just, oh, cool. we're just calling it Windmill after him. Um, uh, he he owns La French Diner down the Lower East Side. Of course, where nice. I, where I did that uh, stint uh, back in August two years ago. Uh, and we found a spot together, and we're going to do... So at La French, they don't have spirits, and at more, of course, we don't have food. So we're going to combine our, our skills. The food is going to be skewers, like almost izakaya style, but all French. So like a skewer of butter poached octopus, a skewer of confit of duck hearts. Nice. Like wow. little, little skewers that are only going to be about 5 to 15 bucks. Yeah. No silverware, no plates, just these little skewers. And then a, a bar that's heavily driven by French stuff. Cool. Cognac, Armagnac, Calvados. Man, that Chiron, sounds like my uh, zone. And my it's, a tiny, zone. It's, a, it's a tiny space, barely bigger than a moor. So that's awesome. We just keep doing small Very bars. Very cool. Congratulations. I'm never going to have a big bar that makes me a, a million bucks. I just need 10 little bars that will make me $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about me. Let's get back to you. Uh, and, and this is delicious, by the way. Yeah, help yourself to more if you like. Man. Um, that is the kind of thing that I picture drinking outside at, at Sauvage. Yeah. Are you then serving this sort of thing outside at the new we bar? Because the new bar is 100% outside. Correct. Um, at the moment, I'm I not... That's not, pretty unique. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's a learning curve. You know, all the little things, like, the just obviously that come along with uh, being an out, outdoor bar. Rain, sun, wind. <laughs> all of it. Temperature extremes. I mean, it was, you know, 55 degrees the other day for no reason at all. Right. <laughs> so. Do you guys offer, like, little shawls and, and, and coats for uh, people to wear? I, we thought we were in the spring. We thought we were in the summer. Yeah. You know, it didn't really... It's, it's just some really wacky weather. Well, rewind a little bit. And yeah. Let's talk about it from the beginning. So it's called Golden Hour, and yep. where, where is it located? So the Golden Hour is on 10th and 20th in Chelsea. Okay. It's at the Highline Hotel, which is a beautiful, beautiful, yep. almost a fortress of a building. It's a former New York Theological Seminary in the 1880s, I believe. Neat. Um, it is uh, 100% outdoors, as you said. Uh, it's about 120 seats, so it's it's no small space. What? Um, 120 seats? Yeah. And none of it is under any cover? Uh, well, there, there are awnings and I, such. But, but, but I mean, yeah, you're, not, there's no. No, you're not inside. No, nothing inside. So, the, <laughs> of course, as luck would have it, we do have a kitchen inside, um, but, um, yeah, it's an outdoor space. So, obviously... It, and it's right next to the High Line, which is the beautiful, you know, yeah. structure yeah. that runs along that part of the Yeah, being city. on 10th Avenue, it really has a unique sort of... catches a lot of sunlight still. Um, of course, the name, the very name Golden Hour is, uh, you know, alluding to uh, the photographic term. Um, that like perfect lighting at that time. Yeah, an hour before sunrise, an hour before sunset. Um, so anyway, of course, just the very setting kind of informs the way that we, the the product that we sell and the way we sell it and the kind of cocktails that we put it's on bikini the bikini bar. Right, you're all wearing yeah. bikinis. Mason <laughs> <laughs> Premier crew in bikinis. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not popular um, yet. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, the menu is very sort of influenced by being outdoors and very much uh, reminiscent of sort of coastal outdoor dining in New England or on, you know, on Long Island. Um, I think there's a certain element of nostalgia to the things we serve. It's not quite as tradition bound as, say, Maison Premier or Sauvage, um, at least not the same kind of traditions. I think that there's sort of like an outdoor Americana uh, vibe to the golden hour and yeah it's most how, how does that translate itself to the menu both uh, both both for the bar and for the kitchen you know i think there's just a lot of for the kitchen there's a lot of very classic staples um right but sort of like s- uh, simple plays on staples so right now we have this amazing dish that's uh it's like mule freak but it's uh with razor clams yes and just really unctuous delicious uh, white wine-based broth, and yeah, just food that is, I guess, simple enough so that you just, that's the kind of food you crave when you're eating outdoors, I think, you know? Right, nobody's just sitting outside having like yeah. a lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> you know, piping hot with bechamel. So. Yeah, over at the Del Posto back patio. <laughs> Maybe, even that. Um, yeah, and similarly, you know, the drinks are probably 
you know, 90% high acid, refreshing, citrusy uh, cocktails. And and very colorful, I think, in, in palette and in, and in the visual as well. What's the... Uh, so Maison and Sauvage both seem to have a kind of pretty pretty obvious slant towards Francophiles, right? Mm-hmm. Does Golden Hour have a slant in any direction? Summer. Just summer. <laughs> yeah. Summer here, summer I mean, anywhere. my version of the summer, I guess, you know, like, um, I think I'm heading, you know, with a lot of the drinks at Sauvage, there's an emphasis on sort of not touching, showcasing the producer, not really manipulating, uh, overly manipulating what goes into the glass. So keeping it fewer ingredients, keeping it simpler, just so the what the producer's work can really shine through. Yeah. And at the Golden Hour, you know, I think that I'm I'm having fun including a little bit more sort of seasonal ingredients, um, such as you know gooseberries and various Leech. kinds of citrus in season right now. Lychees just hit New yeah, York. Yeah, I see them everywhere right now. So. I think that also, you know, it's just inspiring, again, making drinks that are in the outdoors because there's such a, you know, I, I'm not sure if you have seen pictures yet of the Golden Hour, but it is lush. It's verdant with greenery, right? It's um, covered in just sort of subtropical uh, plants and beautiful uh, uh, shrubs and such. How's the service operate? Is it uh, entirely table-based or is there a bar? Actually? It is entirely table-based. There is a bar, uh, which functions as a service bar, because of our relationship with the hotel, um, you can't actually order drinks directly from the bar. Right. But uh, I don't think anybody minds that. It's kind of nice, both for the guests and the bartenders. The bartenders can stay busy making drinks, and the guests can sort of retreat into this, you know, beautiful setting and not really have to sit at a bar. And, you know, they get that full-on immersive there are some experience. things about sitting at the bar that are the best, and there are some things that are, that are not the best. Of course. <laughs> so I, get I just it. don't know that I would if go to an outdoor space and sure. go and sit at the bar. It's kind of like I would. Well, know. I was asking more like, I know the, I understand that the whole thing is outside, so I was like, is yeah. there an outside bar too? Right. You know? Yeah, the bar in, is outside. You know, I grew up in yep. Florida on a beach, so like an outside bar is not crazy uncommon to my mind. Sure. Literally walking up off the sand and ordering you know, beer. Right. Um, or whatever. Um, so I'm just trying to picture the situation over there. Because I haven't seen a photo. I've only talked to you briefly about it uh, when I saw you at dinner a few right, weeks right. back. Um, which was a blast, by the way. Yeah, that was a good dinner. Uh, um, I, the dinner was fine. The, the, time, <laughs> the time was a blast, though. I had a really mm-hmm. good time. I had a good night. Uh, I, ne- I needed that. I needed a breakaway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to picture how it operates. So... Uh, do you rotate your team like a lot of bars do that have uh, only table service? Is, uh, are the service, is the service staff also bartending staff? Um, you know, theoretically, they would be. Uh, obviously, with an opening, there's just so many variables. You, find, sure. you know, somebody's yeah. parents get sick, you know, Whatever. uncle you gets gotta, sick. You got to stock it up. Yeah, beginning. exactly. So right now, you know, I'm going through service every day, every night um, behind the bar because I feel like that's the fastest way to identify the problems and find solutions. And it also ensures, obviously, that the drinks are going out the way I want them to. Maybe not the, <laughs> as fast as, you know, some uh, some young blood could get them out, but uh, at least I know they're going to look and taste the way I want them to. Right, and you are the architect of the entire menu. Correct. Whew. Yeah. How big is the menu? And Savage, and mostly Maison as well. Um, the menu is twelve to fourteen cocktails. cocktails yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing, um, yeah, a couple of highlights, if I may. Yeah, please. That's why you're here. <laughs> um, Did you not know we're here to talk about you? I had no idea. Um, <laughs> so the neighborhood actually, you know, the cool thing about the High Line, and for me especially coming from Williamsburg and being immersed in Williamsburg for years is I don't really know Chelsea that well. And the, in the past couple of months building, helping build out the uh, Golden Hour, you begin to realize that it's actually a really, really neighborhood-driven place. Mm-hmm. And the Highline Hotel specifically, and that space specifically, really has um, been people's backyards for, for years. And so I think it's, it's kind of, you know, made the whole experience a little bit warmer. Um, obviously, moving to, you know, opening a bar in the city is a little bit different than opening a bar in Brooklyn. Um, but just... How neighborhood-driven the, the Highline Hotel is has really added some nice aspects to opening the Golden Hour. 
anyway, we knew that uh, for years they've been selling frozen Negronis there. Yeah, which is not uncommon. No. I'm sure you know. I'm I've sure definitely had them from scores there. and scores of places that do it. I but have definitely had them from there really? and walked along the High Line while drinking it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they let you do that. Uh, I mean, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a let yeah. you thing. So we, um, but it was served in a plastic gl- uh, glass, right. and it was sort of understood that uh, no one was going to stop me from walking away with it <laughs> for sure. And <laughs> I saw several others up there while I did it. You know, like uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we were just talking earlier before the show. Actually, Dave and I, you know. Remember, it was uh, maybe two, if not three years ago, at this point that the you know the NYPD sort of de- decriminalized drinking. Open, the street, yeah, the open container, container law, right? Yeah. So it's like, unless you're being rowdy and a jackass, they're not going to bother you. Right. They don't give a shit, right? And by the way, a frozen Negroni just looks like a, so, yeah. it's like an icy. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Pretty much is one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're doing uh, at, sort of out of res- not just out of respect, but just um, because it's smart. Because it's smart and fun, and it's something that we don't do at Maison Premier Sauvage. We uh, we've been doing some frozen drinks. So um, to open anyway, we knew we had to keep the Negroni. Obviously, make it our own, but keep the Negroni on the menu. We're also doing this cool um, frozen drink called Blue Kapalua. It's sort of a play on Blue Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, with a couple of kinds of rum and uh, fresh yuzu. As well as uh, Uccelli, which is, yes. you know, Uccelli. Oh, my gosh. From Bianca. Bianca yeah. Bianca Maria, who has a, a company called Uncouth Vermouth. And she makes she was, she was on the show twice in the past two years. Nice. Once, once to talk Vermouth and once to talk Uccelli. Uccelli, which is her blue Amaro. Yeah. That's great. It's kind of fun to make, uh, you know, blue drinks with something made with that much integrity. and Right. It's all natural. And yeah. It's also quite delicious. Very floral. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, so it's a couple of rums, Uccelli. Yuzu. And Yuzu, and it's nice. Out of a frozen machine. Nice and blue out of a frozen machine. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's some frozen That's drinks, good. and then there's a couple, you know, we do a couple of batch bottled and chilled style drinks. Like, we have a, I have a Vesper in Manhattan, batched, uh, pre-batched and chilled in bottle. Um, so your serv- service is straight comes out in a bottle. of the bottle, uh, straight out of the freezer. So you know the viscosity and stuff. I don't know if you've had any of those that we've done at Sauvage, but right uh-huh. now we have the Stinger there, which I think is done very well. The Martini is done really well. Yeah. Um, and I like it. I like the sort of irreverence of it. You know, spending a lot of time in sort of high flute and cocktail bars. It's nice to you know just pour, batch something and pour out of a bottle and have it. The you know have it with the fantastic results. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. It's very very. And fun. you know we're not alone in that thinking. You know, no. uh, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Wall is doing yeah. similar stuff over at the grill in the pool with uh, his. Uh, uh, I can't remember what. what, what I think he's what, got what, a Gibson. I mean, he's doing it, a lot it, of. It's it's called it's, the oh it's called the emergency martini because it's it's just ready to pour. Nice. You come yeah. in there, and you order a martini, boom, you got it. <laughs> like I need it. <laughs> yeah. It is. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure you can get a Coutrimal however you like. And yeah. you, want, you want a Gibson? Sure, here's a couple of nice onions. Thomas loves a Gibson, so I, I, I know he has It is my around. favorite. I, I used to never say, and only, by the way, recently have I come to the to grips. I would never say what a favorite was. Right. But recently I've decided, to, I just sort of realized, like, I think the Gibson is my favorite drink. And then subtly, I didn't even notice. You know, I had, uh, I had Natalie design me a, a beautiful logo for my website, and in the logo there is a Gibson. Oh, like, wow. I'm like, wow, I guess I really do like this drink a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, where's your favorite place to get a Gibson? Uh, whether or not it's my favorite, it's sure. high on my list because I go there often. I have one almost every Sunday at Bar Goto. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, they serve sure a, Kenta a, makes a... Uh, they serve a hell of a Gibson, and it's it's got a, a, um, a very crunchy and delicious onion. And it also, as a bonus, has a... Do you know what a tomolive is? Yes. Old I South do. is the company that makes them. Yes. They're, they're baby green tomatoes about the size of an, an olive, olive right. that, are, that are then pickled. But it's it looks like an olive, but it's a tom- it's fucking crazy. I love them, uh, being from the South, and so are they. So yeah, my mouth's watering right now talking about it, but almost every Sunday I sit go there. To. I call it church. I go to church on Sundays, <laughs> and I have a Gibson at Bargoto. Yeah. But there are many great Gibsons throughout the city, and actually Robbie Keen's, Nelson... Keen's a great one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's Robbie cool. Nelson and I, uh, eventually, he, he does. Uh, he's, a, he's your Plymouth guy here in New York, yeah. as well as other things now. But he and I keep talking about going and doing a Gibson tour of the city because we both love Gibsons. I, I always thought of it as an old man's drink, as I'm saying this, I realize I guess now I'm an old man. So. It is. It is, and you are. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Uh, yeah, but I've but I've been drinking that drink for decades, so I think I thought it was an old man's drink Precisely. when I was young. Yeah, <laughs> shut up, man. <laughs> Just keeping you honest. <sighs> I'm the most honest man I know. Um, 
Anyhow, yes. Uh, sounds like a great program. And how? What sort of successes are you realizing? Because um, by the way, uh, how long have you been open? Like four services. Yeah, yeah. It's brand, brand, four brand or five new services. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something I, I realize there is. I think opening night obviously is always. You know, you confront all the things that uh, uh, you should confront sooner rather than later. Um, but. I guess what excites me is bringing these kind of drinks to, I mean, 120 seats is no joke, as you said, (laughs) and being in Chelsea is no joke. So um, it's just, it's exciting to bring something of the same caliber that we do elsewhere into a new environment, new people, new clientele, Mm -hmm. new space. I find the space really inspiring to be in every day. It's just beautiful. You know, you're out, you're outside and that seems obvious because it's an outside bar, but it's not very often in your life as a bartender that you show up to work every day outside. Right. Um, so I really appreciate that. I'm enjoying, um, you know, shaping up a new team of people making mm-hmm. drinks. I'm enjoying making drinks there while I still am or still can. Yeah. Um, how do you, how are you? Let's okay. So you know, obviously, a lot of what we talk about is service and hospitality mm-hmm. and drinks, and then we're you know, digging into the practical side as well for all of our professional bartenders that listen. Like, how do you? Spend your time now that you have three bars under your stead, and one of them obviously brand new, four shifts in, and, sure. and one of them just just hitting its two year birthday, so just finding some stride. Like, how do you divide your time? Well, um, I live, as I mentioned, in South Williamsburg, so I live close to Maison Premier, and Maison has an upstairs office. I have a desk and office upstairs that I'm able to access. And, you know, it's three or four blocks away from my house. So a lot of the sort of administrative um, computer-based work that I do is done from there. Um, And then, obviously, there are the normal, you know, responsibilities of uh, hiring and training for three staffs, doing inventory for three staffs, menu development for all three restaurants. Um, yeah, it's tricky. I, I guess that that is a part of the reason why, sadly, you don't get to be behind the bar as much. Um, I personally love to be behind the bar. It's uh, where I find myself the most calm, where I yeah. find myself the most also motivated and energized. And um, so, yeah, I miss it. Uh, How are you fulfilling that need? Are you are you like walking the floor more? Are you shaking hands and saying hello um, to people? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess at Maison like, Premier, yes, that's kind of, and, and Sauvage, that's kind of the vibe. Right now, it's Golden Hour, I'm very much so making drinks. I mean, the other night, 120 people walked in pretty much simultaneously, you know, sat in the course of 20 minutes. I had to make that many drinks, and yeah, um, yeah it's not ideal, but, you know, you learn the flaws in your system, you learn the flaws in your own preps, prep and pars and such, and... You determine not to do uh, it. Even the next down to night. just mise en place, how you set yeah, things totally. up. Like you're like totally. Night this, one this, to this night two. This bottle needs to be two bottles to the right because it's fucking me up yeah. to have it just that far off the, the yeah. mark, right? Yeah. I, you know, I actually realized it's funny. I, I was talking Michael Walter, yep. uh, who is sort of my lead uh, at both Savage and the Golden Hour. He's been a huge help to me, and um, was you, you invited him on the show today? I think or yeah, I told him uh, to come if he wanted. Yeah. Yeah, I wish he could have made it. Sadly, he's holding it down at the Golden Hour right now. Um, but we were talking the other day about how at Maison, you know, so much of, in addition to watching the bartenders work and, and work accurately and quickly and with a lot of finesse, I think that a while ago I really wanted to sort of implement the idea of the whole process of making the garnish be as beautiful to watch as the building of the drink and the shaking of the drink and the final product of the drink itself. And so just like your your knife skills, your cleanliness on your cutting board, uh, the precision and speed at which you can, you know, manipulate uh, a twist and, you know, a paring knife and a channel knife and, um, you know, a microplane and all these other tools. I wanted to bring that into the sort of visual context of making the drink so that if you're working point at Maison Premier, it's beautiful top to bottom. There's no like, let me pull my garnish, you know, out from under here and like set it on a coaster. And then now I wanted it top to bottom, you know, using tongs and <laughs> everything. Fascinating. Um, because I think that everything else about Maison is at that level. And it's really silly to just kind of have a 
dirty cutting board with a bunch of junk on it and right. piles up after drink order after drink order. So anyway, I'll say all that to say that that, take it from me, is not achievable at a place like the Golden Hour. Well, also, no, as you mentioned, there's no, no bar, watching. so no one's watching anyway. So, right. you know, take the cuts where you can. That way you have the time to add something somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And so we just you know, went I, I, crazy pre-prepping. I'm going to give you another ism. Yeah. This is one of mine that I impose on my staff all the time. I'll ask someone new, because all the old people have already heard me. I'll say, do you know the difference between a silver medal and a gold medal in most Olympic events? Fractions of a second. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. You want silver right. or gold? Let's, yeah. let's shave some seconds where we can, and let's use those seconds elsewhere. That's what, uh, that's what we're learning service to service at uh, the Golden I'm Hour. I'm sure, man. So <laughs> what are the hours over there? Eventually, it's going to be 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. What? Yeah. And then, of course, it's fucking 100% closed half of the year, probably. It is. That's why you maximize. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. You got to crush the shit out um, of it. Why so early to close? Is that the neighborhood or is that the deal That's the have? neighborhood, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That's the neighborhood. Um, and also, there are hotel guests that, you know, are... Need to get their uh, rest or whatever. Right. Exactly. So they want a rowdy bar down outside their window. I don't, right. And I don't foresee it being that rowdy, but I imagine no, but the later you stay open, you know, the rowdier it gets. So, um, yeah. Around 10 or 11 is kind of our shutdown time. But for obvious reasons, you have to open early. And the neighborhood is a very early rising neighborhood. And sure. Whenever I am walking around, even at 9, 9 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m., streets are packed. So that's also got to be kind of a curveball. You're going from Maison, where you close at 4 a.m. on the weekends, yeah, to then being at this place by 9-ish or earlier to get open by 10. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously I mean, you're that... Not, I get it, but you know what I'm... I absolutely Again, I'm trying to like, figure out how it is you're dividing your time. Right. So, I mean... <laughs> Because I'm about is, to have a third bar myself. Now, they're all blocks, sure. from, blocks from each other, and they're all tiny. Right. What time are they going to close? What time We're, is the more close? The more close is at um, 1 o'clock on the weekdays and 3 o'clock on the weekends. Okay. Um, Blue Quarter is currently midnight on the weekdays and 2 on the weekends, but we're going to up that soon. Yeah. Uh, we just opened that fifth, last night. It was my 15th night of service. Wow. So, wow, you're pretty new, too. i got to come see you. Yeah, man. Uh, Blue Quarter, it's really cool. Uh, Mediterranean-inspired room, very colorful and textures and fabrics. And the menu is driven by tea. Tea infusions, tea syrups. Oh, cool. Tea, wow. Tea, tea as dilution in bottled cocktails. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, of course, Windmill, we're going to be opening hopefully later on the 25th of next month. Amazing. Very cool. <clears throat> Busy guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so are you. Yeah. And your places are bigger. <laughs> <laughs> And, well, one, and one of them has a James Beard Award. You know, I just don't... Um, I, gone are the days where I can hang out uh, until, you know, last call or much past uh, midnight. Yeah, really. sure. You yeah. just kind of... You do things differently, you know. I t- usually find myself home by midnight. And that's not, obviously, the norm necessarily for people in our industry. But, but it's uh, not a bad thing either. You know, yeah. you you... Even in the beginning of our talk here today, you talked about how you were, you know, finding your yourself as a bartender when you started at the opening of Maison Premier. Sure. And you've grown along with it, and time has passed, so you have aged, <laughs> and you've gotten older and, you know, older slash wiser, as they say, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's smarter for you to get on out of there and get home by... Yeah, I just keep realizing perennially in life that if you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting, uh, as they say, different results, um, yeah, you know, it's a little crazy. There's something crazy about that. <laughs> uh, Will, it's been great having you on the show. Um, can you hit me with some social media or some contacts to get get a, get a hold of you or, or all of your spaces? Yeah, of course. You um, so obviously, Maison Premier is you know Instagram is at Maison Premier. Savage is at Savage NY. Um, Golden Hour is at the Golden Hour NYC, and uh, my personal Instagram is Young William Elliot. Not that that's that necessary, nor is it very true. As time goes but by, it gets less and less by. true. <laughs> Young William uh, Elliot. Yeah, websites. White website is up for uh, the Golden Hour um, as well. I think it's uh, goldenhournyc.com. Cool. Um, really great having you on. Thank you so much for Thanks bringing for that delicious Sutter. thing to taste. Do you want to donate it to the cause? If you have, you want to leave it for the bar. Yes. Means. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dave wants them. Yes. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Um, well, thanks so much for being on. Uh, I'm being selfish uh, on a lot of the shows these days. I'm taking a moment at the end to mention, don't forget, my book, uh, I'm Just Here for the Drinks, comes out on August 28th. It's available for pre-order on Amazon.com. 
uh, get yourself a copy, and then follow my social media, Creative Drunk. I will be doing uh, a cool incentive for, for those who get my book, um, uh, and I, I can't wait for you to see it and read it, and I can't wait for you to see it and read it, Will. It's going to be great. Wait, yeah. When are you going to write a book, man? Oh, uh, Mason Premier book is... is uh, in the works? Is in the works. So. Oh, red. Yeah. It's not, not, it's going to be a little while out, but for sure. Yeah, it's happening. They take a minute. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Sure, you know. They take a minute and they take a lot of your time in the meantime. Try writing the whole thing on your phone. Uh, yeah, that's what you should, that's what I did. Who's this voice of common sense back there? This it's is uh, awesome. Yeah, it's, that's Dave Tedeshore. <laughs> um, all right, well, thanks so much for uh, tuning in to the Speakeasy this week. Uh, uh, thanks again to Will Elliott from um, uh, Maison Premier, Sauvage, and now the new Golden Hour for sitting in with us. I know you're a busy man. you got a lot of things to go do, especially probably right now on a beautiful sunny day. I bet your place is already cranking. I hope so. i got to get over there and take <laughs> care of those people in that lush garden, and I can't wait to come see it myself. Yeah, please do. Um, Please go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate to, to keep uh, shows just like this one on the air and tune into Heritage Radio for plenty, plenty, plenty of shows just like this one um, that are about uh, all the things you want to hear about food and drink. Uh, thanks again, and we'll see you soon. Cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.